morning, I invite you to open your Bibles back up to Psalm 146. Reflect on those verses in a minute. But first, I'd like you to reflect on the overhead here um, with a picture. I'm sorry, a brother said he never wanted to hear the word COVID again. We're going we're gonna to talk about it for just a second. You've seen this phrase or something similar. Together we can stop the spread. And if the last two years has taught us anything, it's that we can't stop anything. (laughs) I mean, governments around the world, people all over the world, doctors, lay people, all of us have tried in some form or fashion to stop the spread and nothing has worked. Now think about it, right? We live in the most... I'll get this off the screen so you're not having a seizure or anything. When, when we live in the 21st century, right? I mean, we're at the height of our medical prowess. Like, we know things. Like, we understand things. Like, this isn't the dark ages. Like, we get it. And even in all our knowledge and wisdom and smarts, what has the last two years shown? We can't do anything. We don't know enough. We're not smart enough. We're not intelligent enough to figure things out. Now you might say, well, I'm intelligent because I already knew that I didn't know anything. And that is some level of intelligence. But here's what I'll tell you. We as a society and as people place way too much confidence in ourselves, in my ability to get things done, to fix things, to own things. And that is to our detriment. And I'll tell you this. Spiritually, we can run into the very same problem. You know, the series this week has been about things I've learned from preaching. And I'll give you a story of one of the saddest things that I've realized. Is that people, years and years after becoming Christians, don't have much trust in God. A brother died at our congregation at an old age. And as usual, um, I'm kind of involved that's one, that's one of the other things. I talked about marriage stuff. Like, that's one of the other things I was not expecting to be involved in is preaching. Is like when people die, like they want you there. So I was early on when I was preaching, Ann and I were driving down the road to go visit a guy. And um, we got a call from his family that the guy from church died. And so I was like, oh man, I hate that. You know, well, I'm going to turn the car around. And they're like, no, you don't. This is when we need you. I was like, oh, really? So I go in there and, you know, he's laying there dead and I'm in there and we're there. It's like, this is, they did not tell me anything about this. But there was a guy that died um, fairly recently and his wife calls me on the phone sobbing. And I could barely make out what she's saying, but she desperately wanted me to come as he was laying in his bed and pray over him that God might forgive his sins. Obviously, I have no power to enact that from God on anybody's behalf. I don't mind praying for people or interceding in some small way with my prayers. But in general, it showed me something that I've learned in my years of preaching, however short they may be, is that people in general don't have very much trust in God. One of the saddest things I've ever heard as a preacher is someone who has been a Christian devoting their life completely to God and they'll tell me near the end of their life, I sure hope I go to heaven. I don't know how God is going to sort things out, but I'm mildly hopeful. And the fear in people's voice 
as they talk about God and their future and the uncertainty surrounding their relationship with God. The more I reflected on it and the more I read the Bible, the more I understand things, the more I realized this is a very sad place for a Christian to be. Like at some point we read the Ethiopian eunuch and he goes on his way rejoicing and we spend the rest of our life in kind of this guilt, sadness, uncertainty about our relationship with God. And then we sing songs and we read verses like Psalm 56, 3, when I'm afraid I put my trust in you. And I want to talk to you this morning in our, our sermon time together about what it means to trust in God. And what I want from you to this, out of this lesson is very simple. I want you to trust God more and trust yourself less. I want you to appreciate and understand who God is, what God asks of us, what God wants for us, because this is what I want at the end of my life. To be able to say with some level of certainty, I know what's about to happen because I trust what God told me is about to happen. And sometimes our trust in God is like Peter on the water and we're sinking. We're like, oh, Lord, save me, you know, and we're, we're floundering and we're flailing. And Jesus just looks down. And he's like, why are you guys doubting? And I think a lot of reasons we doubt is because, you know, if I ask you this question, like, what, what do you think about God? Obviously, it's a multifaceted question. God has a lot of things that we could think about. But in general, I mean, if you had to say the first two things that come to your mind about God, I mean, what, what is it? I think one reality that people have is that they feel like God is, is very distant. And again, I grew up in the church. Like, I understand these things. These things have gone through my mind and heart for years. But God is not a God that is very near to me, right? God has come, God has revealed his word, God has given us some instructions to live by. And then, you know, next time I see God will be if he comes back in my lifetime or I die and go to heaven. And my interaction with God, my relationship with God is not one that I expect very much out of him in this life. Because I pray and maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. And so, you know, I'm, I, I don't know, right? Maybe God does something, I hope he does. But in general, my relationship to God could be very distant. Man, I've heard this too. Um, some people really just think that God is, you know, God's very angry. And there's a sense in which God is angry with the wicked. You know, God is frustrated by sin. God is grieved by, you know, the, the way this world is, I'm sure. But when you think about God, I mean, is, is God somebody that is, you know, just waiting on you to make a mistake and God is going to eternally punish you and that's His greatest joy is to, you know, just judge everybody and you know my relationship with an angry god is going to be very tenuous at best maybe god is somebody that you know god has promised to help me in the future but god hasn't really promised to help me right now you know when you start talking about god interacting in this life like we get real careful because you know we're not charismatic and i don't think god's doing miracles through me but then we kind of throw out the whole rest of the thing where I don't know, you know, maybe God is, maybe God's answering my prayers or, or maybe he's not. Maybe you're just completely unsure about God. You, you don't know what to think about God. And so much of our time can spent re reflected on doctrinal things, which are important, that we never come to know God and understand him and see his character and who he is. And I would challenge you that if you don't know God, it's going to be very difficult to love him. Because the Bible is going to feel like somebody just dropped some rules that your parents gave you and you're like, why am I doing this? Like, I don't understand. Because some of these I like, some of these I don't like. But if you don't know God, 
you're going to struggle loving Him. And I want to talk to you this morning about just this idea of trusting in God because I don't think that that's the relationship that God wants us to think about Him. And it's always funny how different the songs we sing are, are different from maybe how we feel. Because we sing these songs of praise to God and, you know, thankful for God and we trust and obey. But a lot of times we just obey and we don't have a lot of trust. And I would challenge you, we can't do one without the other. And so I want you to develop, especially as young people, a relationship of dependence on God. Of complete trust in your Father. Where you love Him because you know Him. You believe in Him that God is there with you. I want you to have a relationship with God. And that's what God wants for you. And if you have that, you're going to have the joy and the peace and those things that the kingdom of heaven is all about. That's what God wants for you. And I want you to have that too. You can see it in people's eyes. You can hear it in their, their voice. You can, you can just experience that when you see people that are at peace with God and know God. And you can see vice versa when people are like, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep church at a distance. That's where we're going. And I want to start with this. God is trustworthy. You know, when I ask you to trust in God, um, it's, it's kind of scary to give somebody your trust. We just had a lesson on marriage. If you were back there, um, you know, teaching the class for the kids, thank you. I'll give you a synopsis of the last hour that you missed. Um, marriage is probably a bad idea. That was I, I, I talked to a brother afterward. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. That was, not, that, that was not the intent of the lesson. But the reality is, when you put your trust in somebody, that, that's kind of a scary thing, isn't it? And here's why it's a scary thing. Because there's a good chance you could be let down. I mean, if you're a sports fan, I mean, do you have any trust in your team? Probably not. You know, it's going to be another year for football in Tennessee. Um, right? And we're so used to, to disappointment and we're used to frustration and we're used to somebody not catching the pass, and we're used to all these things. And, and we can feel that way about God. But God is so different than anything in this world that God is somebody that you can put your complete trust and confidence in. And God asks for that. I mean, we see Psalm 37, verse 5, and if you just went in your concordance and looked up trust and just took the chunk out of the Psalms, I mean, so many of the Psalms are just written to inspire and encourage going to this God that is our refuge. And He's a shield about me and He's this rock of my salvation. Like God is, God is everything to me. And we've got to get to the point where I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in God. I'm going to commit my ways to Him. Like my life is going to be in God's hands. And, and I asked the reading to be about Psalm 146 because it's just such a great example of how God wants us to have this relationship with Him. And let's just reread some of these verses. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Now, why is he singing praises to God? Well, look, notice the contrast in verse 3. Do not trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. All right, people in this world are going to let you down. All right, there is nothing and no one in this life that you can depend on in general compared to God. He's like, you trust in your armies, you trust in your might, you trust in your strength, you trust in princes. Guess what's going to happen to them? Verse 4, his spirit departs. He returns to his earth. 
in that very day, His plans perish. You know, when you're trusting a person, let me tell you what you're guaranteed. You're guaranteed disappointment. Right? They could just die. I remember a friend of mine at work, we were talking about her making a job change. And I was like, yeah, this seems like a good move for you. And she did all this work and got moved over to this other team. And guess what? The boss she went to work for left. And now she's stuck. <laughs> That's life. I mean, it's what happens, right? I mean, you end up in these situations all the time where you got a plan and it doesn't work out. Let me tell you, that's not so with God. Notice what it says about God in verse 6 as you skip down a, a few verses. We're talking about God who has made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever. You know, when you want to trust in God, pick up the Old Testament and read about what God has done. There is not a page in which God lets anyone down. God doesn't break promises. God doesn't forget. God's not going to do any of that stuff. Like God is faithful and God was there when all the greatest things happened. Like God is the star of this show. And when you think about God, He continues not just in a past way, but notice verse 7. Who executes justice. Now this is like present tense. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. I want you to think about this for a second. This is not a future state God who's like, all right, God did a bunch of things in the past and in the future God's going to take you home to heaven. God is doing things now. God is taking care of the widows and the orphans. God is giving food to the hungry. God is giving freedom to people that are oppressed. Like God is behind the execution of judgment for people. How is God doing that? Well, I don't always know the workings of providence, but let me tell you with certainty. God is doing these things. I can depend on a God that is willing and able to assist with everyday needs. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms, Psalm 27, 13, David says, I would have despaired had I not believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That verse always struck me because it's like, what? Yeah, I would have despaired except I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Life would be miserable if I didn't think God cared about me here. Like, God, God is willing and able to assist with our everyday needs, according to Psalm 146. And then verse 8. I mean, this is what's so great about God. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. When He says He opens the eyes of the blind, I mean, that's a little far-fetched here, right? Is God curing blindness? Let me tell you what this is trying to say about God. God can do even more than we ask or think. You know, you pretty much get what I can do. You know my limit and my ability. And he's like, God's just not taking care of the needy. God can do the things nobody else can do. That's the kind of person I want to trust in. I see it all the time when people have a really bad disease and they're stage four cancer and they fly all over the country to go to the Mayo Clinic and they're like, there's this one doctor that does this special surgery and he might be able to help me. Let me tell you, compared to God, this guy's nothing. God can do what nobody else can do. And when you see the Psalms, this is what I want you to take away from these things. When I tell you to trust in God, I do so because God is worthy of that trust. God is worthy of that trust. God is there for you and wants to be there for you. 
in that relationship. And so as we start our lesson here, you know, I say start, that always messes up our congregation back home. We're, we're into our lesson. But these are the main points. Number one, like we, we can't count on ourselves to do anything. God challenges us to this fact when He says in 1 Peter 5, and this is all over the New Testament, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Now, what does this mean to humble myself under the mighty hand of God? Well, all of us could use an extra dose of humility. But here's what he's talking about. Sometimes instead of me being proud, me being on top, me having my life about me and I got it figured out and I know everything. Sometimes we need to take a step back and say, I don't know everything. I do need help. You know, what am I doing? And it's very hard for us, especially as men. Um, We would rather suffer and ask for help. You know, directions, we always have a problem with that. I mean, now with our GPS, you know, it's solved a little bit. But let me tell you a story that happened to me while I was preaching. So I go to preach at this congregation, um, you know, and I'd never been there before. But I'm like, this is nice. So I'm I'm standing in the back and people are coming in. I was like, hi, I'm Stephen Trammell. Nice to meet you. Like, oh, good. Are you visiting? Like, yeah, I'm visiting. I'm, I'm speaking tonight. They're like, oh, okay. And so I, I meet more people. It's like, hey, this is who I am. I'm speaking tonight. Well, finally, a guy comes in and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm teaching the class tonight. I was like, no, I'm speaking. He's like, well, I'm the preacher here. And I think I'd know. And so I'm looking at my clock. I'm like, well. And he's like, oh, you're probably preaching across town. It's about 20 minutes away. You know, I knew what I was doing. Let me tell you what I did. I didn't have kids, so it was easy. I was like, Anna, get in the car. I don't care about any of these people, you know. They all know my name. we got to get out of here. I drive 20 minutes. I open the doors. I walk right down the aisle. Congregation is dead silent. They already sung all the songs, said the prayers. I just walk right up to the front and start preaching. You know, I could have put the pieces together, right, that maybe we're in the wrong place. But I know better. Congregation doesn't know. Like, I'm here to preach to you. Um, brethren, we're like that a lot of times spiritually, right, where... Where we feel like, you know, I, I can do it all, I can handle it all. And, and I often think of Moses, um, one of, you know, one of God's greatest leaders of all time, had these moments of just reality, where as the meekest man on earth, do you know what Moses did a lot of times? Moses said, I just can't do what God asked me to do. I, I just can't do it. God, the burden is too great. God, how am I going to go talk to Pharaoh? God, I can't do these things. And God at every turn would not say, hey, you're a total failure. God would help him. I'm going to give you Aaron. Aaron's going to help you out. Aaron will be the mouthpiece. You know, he's going to help you. You know, God, what am I able to do? The numbers of these people are too great. You know, they got all these complaints and they're coming to me every day and I'm getting worn down. He's like, you know, I'm going to put my spirit in some people and they're going to help you out. You know, and people are concerned about it. You know, all these people have the spirit of God in them. And he's... He's like welcoming with open arms all the help he can get. Now, if this is somebody that God wants me to be like, as an example of the meekest man on earth, like I, I want to be that person. And when we have ourselves in the right perspective, when I'm humble enough to acknowledge, yeah, I probably need a little bit of help. Yeah, I'm not trusting in myself. Then we are ready to be aided by God. Because sometimes we think, hey, God's just going to exalt me at the proper time. He's not going to do that unless you humble yourselves. And Peter would say, brethren, clothe yourselves in humility. That's a hard thing spiritually to to be humble, isn't it? 
Because so much of our spirituality is based on my accomplishments, my knowledge, my understanding, my ability to have pleased God. And so over time, I think I'm a pretty good Christian. Go to the right church, know all the things like I'm, I'm pretty good. And the more I know, the more I'm better, the less I need God. Until you get to these seminal moments later in life where you're like, maybe I don't know everything and I hope I've done everything right. And it's because we leave God in the dust. Because for most of my adult life, like, I got it. You know, I got it. What, what do I need God for? We need to make sure we understand I need a little bit more humility in my life and my relationship with God. And then once we're properly humbled, let me tell you what God calls us to do. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And beautiful verses, aren't they? We don't always put them in practice. You know, people always, and I joke with Anna about this, you know, whenever there's a situation and they've reached the end, like literal end of their rope, you know what they say? All we can do now is pray. (laughs) It's like, you know, when there's a problem, you try to do all the stuff and you fix everything. And then once we're out of options, it's like, well, God, we'll just have to give it to you. It's a total opposite of what God wants. Like God wants it first. God wants it early. God wants your reliance and trust in Him. And that's why He says, if you're anxious about anything, let your requests be made known to God. And how do we do that as Christians? Especially young people. Let me challenge you on this. The primary way we involve God in our lives is through prayer. Now, I know it's difficult because you don't always see the private, personal prayers of people. Like generally the times we pray when we're young people are when we eat and whenever we're at church. You might pray before bed. But you have to develop a relationship to God that is engaging far more than that. Because if you're not talking to God about your problems, guess who you're talking to? Your friends. And let me tell you how good 14-year-olds are at solving other 14-year-olds' problems. Not good. Not, Not a good track record. And so if we're not on our own, bringing our requests with thanksgiving to God, I'm never going to have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Let me tell you what's going to happen when your friend gives you advice. You're going to be like, I don't know if he knows what he's talking about either. We have no peace unless we start bringing God into our lives. And so when we pray to God, I I want to encourage you to bring your problems to God and give them to Him. And part of that you know, sometimes it's challenged because people say, well, I pray to God and, and nothing happens. I pray to God or I don't, I don't feel peace. Let, let me explain three things to you. And this is not a lesson on prayer per se, but this is very important. Number one, when you're giving your things to God, you can't expect anything in return unless those prayers are asked in faith. Now, this is kind of a catch-22 for a lot of us because it's hard for me to have faith in something If I don't see the results of it, and I don't feel better, and things aren't happening in my life, and so we don't pray. Or if we do pray, we pray thinking, and I've had Christians tell me this, like, I don't know what's going to happen, so I just kind of stop praying. Like, we're only going to pray if we're guaranteed an instant result, or that things are going to go our way. And so we lose faith in prayer. Well, if you go ahead and ask a bunch of prayers and have no faith, God's not going to answer it. And so then you're like, Stephen, I told you, and, and this isn't right. We've got to renew our faith in God. We've got to come to love God and believe God and trust in God and develop that. 
and reading your Bible where it's like, God help him, 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 her, her. God's going to help me. God's going to be here for me. And if you're not coming to God in faith, you're already making that a reality. Secondly, we've got to be persistent in prayer. You know, Luke chapter 18, my sister and I were talking about these verses the other day. And you remember the story of, of the widow that kept bothering this judge. And if any of you have ever gotten legal help, you can understand why she's just needing some help. Because you're not just going to roll up there to a lawyer and get something on the cheap. But she needed help. And it said that he was willing to help her. But the whole reason Jesus told this story is so that people would pray and not lose heart. And at the very end, I want you to appreciate this at the very end of the story in Luke 18. He says, will not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with him? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. You want to grow your trust in God? Read your Bible. Read these words. Jesus is saying, let me tell you what God wants to do. God cares more about you than this judge cared about this widow. Like even unrighteous people can do things if you're persistent. How much more is God going to do it? But what is the question Jesus asked at the very end of verse 8? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? The problem's never been with God. And the problem's never been with Jesus. The problem's with me. I'm not demonstrating the faith that acts like God is going to do anything about it. Because I'm not praying or I'm not consistent in that prayer. And then third and finally related to this, our prayers need to be paired with a righteous life. I know sometimes people turn to God in prayer um, in their heathen state and they think, oh, God's, God's going to save my granddad and you know I hadn't been praying or living right, but God's going to hear me. Let me tell you, Our prayers can be hindered by our bad marriages. Our prayers can be hindered by our ungodliness and all sorts of things. And so if you doubt prayer and doubt God, but you're not living right, again, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. God's not going to answer that. And so I want you to give things to God, but I want you to understand the context, context in which we give things to God. Because I don't want you to stream out of here in disappointment, like, well, I prayed better and, uh, you know, I'm not seeing any results. Well, let me tell you. You can pray expecting results because when you give those things to God, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. And let me show you how we can see the reality of this peace. I've got it on the the screen here and I want you to appreciate this. But this is how this prayer thing, giving things to God, trusting God works. You remember the story in 1 Samuel 1 about Hannah and her inability to have a child. And you remember the story, and it's kind of weird, you probably remember it, where Eli engages with her because it seems like she's drunk. And he says, put this wine away from you, which is a solid verse just in general. But in the context, he thinks, you know, something's wrong with her because she's just, she's talking to nobody. But she's praying to God. And she says, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, oh, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And I want you to appreciate the end of verse 18. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Have you ever read that verse? Have you ever thought about that verse? Why was her face no longer sad? 
Why did she go eat after doing this? Was she pregnant? Did she know she was pregnant? She instantly pregnant? We don't find out about all this stuff until later on. Where it says the Lord remembered her and the Lord opened her womb. What happened in this moment that would change her entire countenance? She trusted God was going to do something. I don't know how else to say it, but sometimes we do a really poor job at this. I'll get people to pray. They're like, all right, I can trust in God. All right, maybe I'll give things to God. But then we give things to God, and we want to go worry about it ourselves. Like, I'm really going to give it to God, but, you know, God, i got to do my part too. And you've heard the phrase, like, you know, pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. Again, not in the Bible. Uh, It seems real good. And generally when people say that, it's because... I like to work like things are on me. And I don't know how to really trust God. I don't know how to really give things to God. And I don't really believe God because after I'm done praying, I just feel like, you know, I gotta go do my part and I gotta go get IVF or whatever. Like, I gotta solve my problem. And we token give things to God, but in reality, we've given nothing to Him. We might have clued Him in a little bit, but I don't really believe it because my face belies me. If she spent all this time in prayer to God and she goes home and she's still miserable and upset, what does that say about God? Well, it says a lot about God. It says how I feel about God. Like, God's not going to do anything for me. And so I ask you, as we talk about trusting God to handle it, why should I trust God with my concerns? 1 Peter 5, 7 says to cast all your cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. I want you to think about that last word I just said. Who does God care for? God so loved the world. Well, who does this verse say God cares for? Cast all your cares on Him, for God cares for you. Do you believe that God knows who you are? That you're a person made in His image? That He has some vested interest in you? That He loves you? That He died for you? That He's thinking about you? That He's listening to you? God cares for you. God cares for you. And let me tell you, just from personal experience, and a lot of y'all got me beat here, but I don't love my fifth kid any less than I love the first kid. Some of y'all with six and seven, maybe it tapers off toward the end, but you know, with five, I mean, it's, it's still there that love is just as strong. And if you had 10 or 15 or 20, it's hard to imagine you being like, no, nah, you know, I, I hate these. But that, that's how God is. Like God has the capacity to care for all of us. And so he's just waiting For us to cast our cares on Him. And then God's like, thanks for bringing this to me. Let me act. What a great thing to know that God cares for us. Secondly, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus tries to encourage us to understand. Look, God has shown great care for really less important things. God cares about the birds of the air. And the lilies of the field. Like God has blessed them, cares for them. Like they're not concerned and worried. God's not looking at the birds and saying, you know, good luck out there birds. God is perfectly created this world to care for all of his creation and yet jesus tells us this great thing you are of much more value than they so if god has shown he can care for everything else what do you think he's thinking about you god is willing and able and eager to help you last thing i'll leave you with on this slide and this is crazy but i want you to appreciate it god literally asked to help you you remember the great passage at the end of matthew 11 when Jesus said, you know, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light and you'll find rest for your souls. What did he say before that? Come to me. 
Come to me. And you'll find rest for your souls. If you're weak and heavy laden, come to me. I want to bear this burden with you. Like my yoke's easy. You're not going to come to me and find things are more difficult. My yoke's easy and this burden's light. Let, let's attach ourselves to each other. And whatever burden we're pulling, let's do it together. And so God with open arms is like, come to me and trust me to handle these things. And I mean, what powerful things for me to appreciate and learn to trust in God. And this culminates in this very last slide. When it comes down to it, I want you to trust God, not only with the things of this life, but with your salvation. And there's a verse I want to read to you from Philippians 1, and we'll reflect and think about some others in just a second. But Paul to the Philippians at the very beginning of his letter simply says this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you one thing about God. And I appreciated this as I've been preaching. You know, we give the invitation at the end of lessons, and sometimes I'm surprised because people respond. It's great. You know, you kind of get, you know, not burn out, but I mean, over time, like you get no response, you get no response. And then somebody will come forward. And it's wonderful. And you'll sit down by them, and, and they're talking to you about their life, and all they're doing is explaining all their sins to me. And all these things, and you know what I do after they explain all their sins, and they come in repentance, and they come confessing those? I'm like, God's going to accept you. You turn from these things, you confess these things, God's going to accept you. Like, you come up here and you stand before people and you're like, here's all the things I've done. And you know what I promised them? Hope and forgiveness. These are people outside of Christ. These are people that aren't in the family of God. And God says, nope. I'm going to invite everybody to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Like, you you guys come on in. These Jews that aren't worthy, they got stuff to do. Go out the highways and byways and let all these people come eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God is so excited when one sinner repents. How much more do you think He's invested now that you've been added to His family? Brethren, we don't get added to the family of God and then all of a sudden God's like, All right, that was real exciting. But after this, I'm really looking to get you back out of here. Brethren, God is with you to help you and encourage you and strengthen you. And that's why when you read passages like Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, put on the whole armor of yourself. No, it's like put on God's armor. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Like God is here to protect and to guide us. And one of the most beautiful things we can see in the Scripture is when Paul says, I am sure of this. God's not going to so easily give up on you. Think about these truths on the rest of the slide. Jesus in Hebrews 5 is said that He lives to forever make intercession for us. He forever lives to make intercession for us. What is Jesus doing right now? I don't know. He's waiting to come back and punish me. No, let me tell you what Jesus is doing. Jesus is living today as a high priest, to forever make intercession for the people of God. Like, what an encouraging thought. 1 John 2 says that, you know, I don't want anybody to sin, but if anyone sins, let him know we've got an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He's writing to Christians, both in Hebrews and in 1 John, that these people that that can have sin in their lives, God is here to help. God is here to forgive. And Jesus, the Son of God, is there advocating on your behalf. 
That's, that's a wonderful thing. He goes on to say because of Jesus' high priestly office in Hebrews 4.16 that we can have boldness and confidence to come near the throne of grace and have help and mercy in time of need. Like It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But man, when I'm in Christ, I can come with boldness to God's throne. Confidence because of what Jesus has done. And he goes on to say, and this is the last verse I'll leave you with, in Hebrews chapter 12, that let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, laying aside the sin that so easily besets us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Brethren, when you're running the race in this life, sin is going to easily beset you. You're going to feel the guilt of sin. You're going to feel the regret and the pain that comes from disobeying God and the punishment that you know is deserving of sinners. But as we lay aside that sin that so easily besets us, who does He say we look to? Look to yourself. Look to yourself. You run really, really hard. Brethren, when you look at the end of your life, you are only going to see all your mistakes and your sins and your problems. You're going to feel at that very moment, I need you to come pray for me because I don't feel good about myself. Let me tell you who is going to help get us over the goal line. It's got to be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. Jesus is my access to the Father. Jesus is going to help me finish the race. Listen, I don't know everything I ought to know right now. Uh, I may be doing things wrong. I don't even know. But I'm studying my heart out to try to figure it out. But I'll tell you, at the end of the day, the only reason I have confidence in my relationship with God is not because I'm a preacher, not because I've reached the pinnacle of Christianity, and the rest of you guys are just listening to me. I am nothing if not for Jesus. And when you realize that, how much God has invested in you, how much Jesus has done for you, how much Jesus wants to help you, then you're going to feel good about your relationship with God. You're going to want to serve Him. You're going to want to lay aside those sins. You're going to want to do all these things because God believes in you. So I'm going to, I'm going to do these things. I'm not going to continue in sin that God's grace may abound. Like I'm going to be a slave in obedience to righteousness. And when you have that mentality of a God wanting to carry you home, it's a lot easier to run. Because He's somebody you need to run to, not run from. Praise God for His salvation, for His kindness and mercy extended to all of us. Praise God that He will extend it to you. Yeah, you and me. I don't care what you've done. God will accept you home. There's a brother of mine, one of my favorite brothers at the church where we go. He lived the majority of his life just an absolute sinner. And he'll tell stories about, you know, the things that he did. And I mean, I don't want to laugh, but I mean, it's just like, how could you imagine anybody doing these things? You know, honky-tonks and all the things that, you know, sinners would do. But he comes to God, I mean, late in life. Late in life. And he doesn't know what he needs to do, but he wants to do better. And when you see somebody like that come to God, let me tell you what they are. They are full of guilt. They are full of 50 years of sin, 60 years of sin. And that's all they see when they think about their own life is like, I've made all these mistakes. Are you sure God's going to accept me? And here's what I want you to do. You need to trust God. And when God says He forgives you, 
Do you believe it? Like if we can't trust in God and believe that He's going to do what He says, what is that saying about God? But if we can trust that if I repent and confess my sins that God will forgive me, then I can have some joy because I believe in God. But if we don't really think God's going to forgive me, then you know what that says to God? I don't really believe you. But God at the end of this service is offering you complete forgiveness. Like right now, you. And if you believe that fact, that's the foundation of everything, you can come to Him now. Maybe you need to be baptized in water for your sins forgiveness. Maybe you need to make a confession. Maybe you need to get more serious about your life and go home and live for Jesus. I don't know what you need to do, but I want you to do it now as we stand and sing a song to encourage you.